Hello, everyone, and welcome to the unofficial Unreal Engine podcast, where we talk about all things Unreal Engine and scallion pancakes. We're your hosts. My name's Alex. And I'm Jacob. Uh, yeah. Make sure that you like, subscribe, rate, all of that good stuff. Um, it really helps us out. And then we appreciate all the awesome feedback we've been getting uh, on our previous episodes. Huge thank you again to Alan, who's joining as producer um for helping us get these episodes out a little faster we hope we can kind of continue to to improve over time uh just uh to to though i i will admit it's mostly my fault i'm i'm terrible at at scheduling so i i do apologize to the listeners you can blame me all right you're a busy guy yeah i i, I am but uh i gotta find time to talk about unreal otherwise <laughs> you know like uh, half of my identity is gone. You know, I can't wear this sweatshirt. You know, it's uh, it's a crisis. I think we should start this episode immediately addressing the sweatshirt. And, and sorry for anyone who's listening oh, yeah. audio only. Um, so hold on. I see that it is the older logo. It's got it, it needs the haircut. It's a little it is. long yep. on the tube yep. in the front. It's it's yellow. Um, where did the sweatshirt, Jacob, come from? Tell us the story. Yeah, I mean, so th- yeah, this is like the UN engine, like well, a UE, uh, like very beginning of UE4, right? Yeah. Uh, but uh, I got this sweatshirt for Christmas, actually. My family found this. I don't know where, but I got it for Christmas and it was an amazing gift because everyone knows that I, I'm passionate about Unreal Engine swag and feel that Epic should release the swag store. Uh, so I, I was very happy to get this, but I don't have a, a better origin story other than to say I got it for Christmas and it was an awesome gift. Yeah, we've said it before, but it bears repeating. Uh, Epic, open like a proper store, make it absurdly expensive. We don't care. There's a yeah. lot of people out there that just want uh, exciting Epic swag. The stuff that's yeah, given it, away at festivals is fine, but let us give you money to buy these awesome things. Yeah, I, I, I don't see the, I don't see the logic. I mean, they, they, they only make swag to give it away for free at events. <laughs> make swag that we can pay for. Yeah. You know, like I might not be a regular V Bucks buyer, but you know, Unreal Engine swag. I, I think I could, I could start to corner the market on that. I don't know. I think there's still some people who prefer physical goods over digital, but that's just me. Oh, don't start with that. Don't <laughs> start with that. All right. What are we talking about today, Alex? Oh, boy. Well, um, hot on my mind, uh, especially without another uh, guest for today, is the frustrations of, of dealing with uh, developing for the MetaQuest ecosystem ah, yes. in Unreal Engine. That's been taking up a lot of my late night bandwidth over the past couple of weeks. So I, what I want to understand, and I saw I saw your tweet, and I saw you know I saw a few of those follow ups. What I understand is if they went and renamed the node, why is it still called Quest something? Yeah. So let, I'm sorry, little, uh, Oculus something. Oculus something. Exactly. Yeah. So hold on. Let me <laughs> let me pull up a little uh, link here to give a little more context. Um, I'm going to share my screen. Uh, audio only listeners. Hopefully, we'll just cut this part out while I pull this up. So. Um, Meta has their Meta XR plugin, which was frustrating enough to use because in many cases, you had to get the source build of uh, Meta's branch of Unreal Engine in order to use this stuff. And I had some success compiling it in a standalone way, some features working, some features not. But I had spent a lot of time trying to milk the MetaQuest Pro facial tracking features by getting it to work with a metahuman, which was not working out of the box in 4.27. And finally, we have like a proper 5.1 plugin, which doesn't have the sample project. So I went through upgrading the sample project and lo and behold found that all the crazy spaghetti code I had to do, these are all different expressions of saying like brow left, you know, mouth right. Like there really isn't a more optimized way to do this at the moment. And uh, when upgrading to 5.1, I saw that everything was broken. (laughs) <laughs> and the reason was because they changed it from um, Oculus facial tracking into uh, Oculus XR facial tracking. And I'm sure any moment they're going to change it to Meta XR facial tracking and it'll yeah. all break again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but this did have an okay end of the story because I had a lot of people on Twitter giving you know some nice advice. And eventually um, what we found, uh, someone had said like, oh, gee, it sure would be nice if we could just you know copy all this and uh, and change it. Um, and it gave me an idea because I thought, of course, when you copy blueprints, like there's a lot of just raw uh, plain text code there. And um, ultimately what ended up happening was it worked. Uh, what happened was I, I grabbed all the raw text 
from um, Unreal Engine, opened it up in Notepad. These are all the blueprints. And I literally just a search and replace for Oculus Movement dot Oculus Face Tracking Component for Oculus XR Movement dot Oculus XR Face Tracking Component. <laughs> and it worked. I then copied that new raw code and, uh, and everything was fine. And I saved myself a bunch of hours, but I shouldn't have had to have dealt with that friction in the first place. I, just, I, I don't understand why if they're on this crusade, they just didn't just take the extra effort and rename it to Meta XR or whatever, you know, like I thought they completely X that the whole <laughs> Oculus thing. It's it's such a weird state of the union we're in for for XR right now, but specifically the Meta ecosystem because Meta makes good hardware. They make good software. There's a lot to like if you ignore all the like ethics and privacy concerns. The actual like VR experience is good. From a developer perspective, they make it really really difficult by dealing with things like Oculus and Meta and renaming plugins, but also not having great documentation, having no real method for like developer support. Um, I have friends who have like very popular, like top 20 apps on the Quest store. And they'll be like, hey, we're trying to integrate a new feature with meta avatars, like a feature that you guys are trying to push, the shared ecosystem of avatars. And they're like, hey, this thing's broken. The arms are doing insane things. Can we get that fixed? And they'll send an email to like a key DevRel person who won't get back to them for like two weeks. And that seems insane. Yeah. The budget for meta last year for uh, Reality Labs, which all this falls under, was over $13 billion. And to have like $2 million of that, at least for just DevRel, would I think go a really long way toward making the third party developers uh, like myself, some of whom are working on projects that would be very, very flattering to the meta hardware and software. Uh, I can't believe how hard they make it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's crazy. It's crazy. I mean, um... I, I want to. I want like a live reenactment when the console spat out the number of messages that came from that one blueprint. Probably, yeah. <laughs> uh, that that's that was pretty crazy, and I, I'm glad you 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 know uh, uh, found that fix. I mean that that was clever for sure. I mean, every, you know, PSA. If I know we've mentioned this before, but you know, everything in in Unreal is copy pasteable, so blueprints included. So at any point, I guess you could, in theory, just copy a whole bunch of blueprint nodes and paste it and do it all over again. I mean, it's, it's yeah. interesting. Um, and in so. blueprints, there is an, an ability to do uh, a replace. You can replace a variable or replace a yeah, node. Yeah, yeah. In this case, when I tried to do that, it just immediately crashed Unreal Engine. I think because there's just yeah, so many connections. It tries there. to reconnect everything. And I think there's something about that like um, dependency tree that probably gets fucked up, I'd imagine. I, I mean... I, I've never had a whole, I, I've had a lot of crashes from that replace or rename and, and all that. Uh, and it's, yeah. So I, I feel you there. Jacob, I have an, an embarrassing question that um, dovetails a little bit with something I want to ask us today. Uh, sure. How much C++ have you done in Unreal? Not as much as I would like, to be perfectly honest. I mean, uh, I, I've done the, the basics. I've, you know, written a few blueprint nodes. I've, you know, worked a little bit in Slate. I've worked on some dev tools, but not not as much as I'd like. Um, honestly, I really like blueprints, and that was that's one of the big things. Like, I, I have a programming background, but I really like using blueprints, and it's much faster for me to 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 use that most of the time than to get my hands all the way deep inside of C And particularly because I'm not working on like engine features, like it hasn't really been relevant for me, but um, I, I would love to honestly uh, have, have, have a chance to dive more into that. But I, I get the feeling most people who do that are, are working on like real games. And most of my projects are, are pretty much just fun projects for me. So I, I, yeah, I haven't had an incentive. Have you gotten a chance to kind of dig in there a little bit? Oh boy. In the um, God, seven years or so that I've been using Unreal Engine, I've probably spent a grand total of four hours in C++. Yeah. Um, not including like just dealing with source build kind of things. Um, yeah, so the question someone asked me today that I thought maybe I could posit to you as well sure. was um, what kinds of things can you only do with C++ in uh, real, uh, versus blueprints? Because yeah, yeah, in many yeah, yeah, cases, yeah. you kind of can do most things in blueprints, but I was curious if you've encountered anything where it's like, yeah, this really does require C++. Yeah, so there are definitely some use cases. One, um, if you want to interact properly with Slate, um, you, so, you know, there's there's two UI systems, there's UMG and there's Slate. Slate is what is used for the actual editor. And technically, you can actually do Slate um, 
or modify slate in the Python libraries as well now, which is pretty cool. Oh, cool. Um, I'm pretty sure it's just bindings to C++, but um, there are definitely a few uh, for gameplay in particular. There, there are a few use cases. The first is when you need multi-threaded anything. Mm -hmm. um, so let's say you have some long blocking calculation. Trying to do that in Blueprints, while it's technically possible, um, it's kind of hacky. You have to use like uh, timelines and, you know, uh, time. the timeline hack is one of my favorites and I use that all the time. But um, most of the time, you know, it's, it's not feasible. So if you want to do any sort of background task or, you know, longer calculation, you kind of need to go into C++ uh, and spawn threads and do stuff like that. Um, the other... Uh, place or the other time that you kind of need C++ inside of gameplay scripting in particular um, is if you need to, for example, make specific requests to like things like servers, if you're doing things like multiplayer networking, or you need yes. to like query external databases or anything like that. And it's kind of for the same reason, because when you make a request and out on the internet or you know over a network you don't really know how long that's going to take and so you can't really use something like an http request in a blueprint because it kind of breaks the notion that blueprints has which is it executes you know uh, um it can potentially execute every frame and it's totally non-blocking right even the delay nodes are not really blocking delays like right. it's not like in pro like in, in a normal programming language or, or scripting language where you say you know sleep on this thread that's not how it really works all it does is stick an event on the stack and call the last point in your blueprint whenever that timer essentially hits hits some threshold right so it's not a real like sleep operation um, so if you need to do things like HTTP requests where you're going to send a request and then you're just kind of sitting there waiting for a response, you can't really do them blueprints. There have been a few kind of nifty libraries um, in that I've seen on the marketplace that use uh, um, event delegates, but it's it's pretty bad overall. Like I like trying to do even like I don't know, uh, um, trying to format HTTP requests and blueprints sucks because you have to do all sorts of string manipulations that really you shouldn't be doing inside of blueprints. So that that's that's really what, how, what I would think about um, when I'm thinking about like what you can and can't do with C++ in terms of, or what you can and can't do with blueprints when it comes to gameplay scripting in terms of like modifying, you know, rendering code or, or you know, adding new features or, um, you know, making modifications to the way Unreal Engine does anything, like most of that has to have happen to C++, right? Yeah, um, and a couple of things come to mind there. So I, I definitely run into the problem of misunderstanding how the delay node works. I've tried to do like a for each loop with delay for like, let's crank out a bunch of renders. That doesn't work. Okay. I have had more success in blueprints with the timer node, because it does seem like the timer will actually like wait five seconds, do a thing. Right, well, this is this is the hack. So the 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 timer, um well i i guess you you i remember you showed me this blueprint um <laughs> that the 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 timer node and if i remember i mean it, it should work fairly similarly but i i i if i remember clearly the, um the nodes that have um like blocking or or kind of um well Sorry, I, I'm getting myself all confused because the timer one is where you attach the event, right? Like you have Correct. to attach, attach right? So it's an event delegate, yeah. but it's not like um, it's still not a real delay, right? It's just like executing a blueprint event after some amount of time, right? Yeah, it's a little bit like having just a very slow event tick, you know, instead of happening every frame, it's happening right like four hundred. That's right, right, right. Like that. Yeah, I, I, so I, I got confused there because I was starting to think of this, think about this timeline hack that I mentioned earlier, which is that the timeline node uses its own virtual machine right so you have the blueprints virtual machine which is a, you know just an interpreter for you know blueprint scripts you know or that text really that comes out of a blueprint right this interpreter that runs it um and you know apparently when they went to make the timeline node in blueprints they had to create its own like virtual machine so it's a separate thread actually which means you can do things that are um kind of blocking in there, which is pretty fun um, because I, I've i used this hack a lot when a blueprint's like starting to really slow down my project. Yeah. Um, and let's say I don't want to decouple like 
the tick from a certain interval, right? So like I have my tick at like, you know, every, you know, 10 milliseconds or something, but I need some operation that's going to, that I want to happen as soon as possible, every frame. Um, you could throw that in a timeline and it's non-blocking. It's just going to return results to blueprints. It's going to like update variables to all that just as it gets updates. Uh, and it doesn't block any of the game, uh, game thread stuff. So that means like you can do kind of weird background operations. It's kind of fun. That is cool. Yeah, I, I heard someone tell me the other day, like, don't use the timeline node. It's very inefficient. And yeah, it does create this whole other like sub process, but I use uh, it for everything. I use it yeah, for it's great. fading things in and out, for lurping from one spot to another. Uh, there's so many instances where you might want something to happen over a set amount of time. Yeah, it's a it's definitely a hack, but like, it's also nice because you can start and stop it, right? Because with a tick, you can't really do that. Um, so, you know, weigh your options if it's reasonable, as long as you don't, like, I, I have a few pet peeves when it comes to blueprints. I'm really glad we got into this rant. Um, <laughs> I have a few pet peeves with blueprints. The one, the first one is too many branches. When people put in a bunch of branch nodes, because there's a great node that everyone forgets about, which is select, right? So you'll have people who use branches when it's like, okay, if this variable is equal to this, go this way. If this variable is equal to that, go the other way. And all the different branches are doing is like taking the same variable and just plugging it into the same stuff or like right. it's calling the same thing just with a different, it's like, no, this is like the whole point of select node. So that's the first one. Use the select node. It's it's great. And the second one is people, is when people use event tick without modifying the, the interval, right? right. Which is yeah. like, you don't need it every frame. <laughs> there, there are just so few use cases that I can think of where you need it every frame. Like there are some, don't get me wrong. There, there are some use cases where you might want uh, updates every frame, but they are you know, few and far in between. And people don't realize like there's a big difference between setting the tick interval to 10 milliseconds or you know, uh, 100 milliseconds and not setting it at all, right? Yeah. Like big difference. Um, <laughs> so that's that's those are my two pet peeves. Do you have, do you have any fun blueprint pet peeves you'd like to get off your chest while oh, we're talking? That's about? A, a good question. I'll mull on that for a second, but uh, as we're still on this C++ <laughs> thing as well, I just wanted to yeah. call out that I do think that one other time you might want to use C++ is if you are trying to like really optimize performance because blue blueprints do have overhead. It's a it's non-trivial overhead as well. Um, now I do understand that there is a checkbox when you're packaging an experience that basically says convert all my blueprints to C++, yep. um, but I, I don't know how close that gets you to, you know, if everything actually was created in C++ in the first place. Yeah, my, my understanding is when you do the compile to C++, I mean, what it generates is not really human readable. Like mm. it is, it works and it will give you like potentially very small performance improvements. Um, but overall, it's not a huge benefit. I mean, you can see there are lots of these comparisons online with people who've done performance analysis of blueprints against C++. Mm -hmm. And like, at the end of the day, most like atomic operations. So like, if you did the same thing in blueprints at, in C++, um, you would get, let's say like, you just wanted to spawn a hundred boxes, right? Like, so if you did that in both, it, the performance would be almost identical. Right. Um, whereas the the big the time where you see a big difference with blueprints in C plus is just when you have a lot of operations going on all at once, or like I said, you need to be able to split out into threads, right? Um, but at the end of the day, like depending, it's gonna totally depend on your project's need, right? Like there are cases where you could spend a lot of time trying to get things into C and not really see a huge performance benefit, if at all, just because the operations you're doing are not the right operations to be doing. And it has nothing to do with like blueprints for C++, right? Like yeah. that happens all the time. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Um, okay, while you were speaking to my brain was able to multi-process both listening to you <laughs> and then also thinking about uh, blueprint pet peeves. And the one I wanna call out is when people make things more complicated than they need to be. And so I feel this way all the time uh, with any kind of coding, but like, especially if you're trying to teach someone something, 
I feel like sometimes people are just showing off and they're like, well, I'm, I'm going to add in all this vector math and like make this thing that's like actually much more complicated. Yeah. And so um, I'm actually preparing to do an Unreal Engine live stream next week, which I, uh, we're going to talk more about shortly. But as part of that, I'm trying to give a bunch of tips and tricks and I'm trying to keep them as simple as possible. So in some yeah. cases, there are things like, you know, movement, like getting the character from point A to point B, where a lot of the tutorials I see, it's like 30 nodes. And it's like, yeah. but you can do 95% of what that person's doing with like three nodes. Right. So I prefer things that are more elegant and simple. And my favorite thing about blueprints compared to traditional code, and, you know, I came from a lot of C Sharp and Unity, is how easy it is to copy and paste it and keep it very modular and yeah. uh, bring it from project to project. So less so than a pet peeve, I'd say like my favorite kinds of blueprint things are when people have very elegant, like three node solutions to something that I assumed was going to be much more complicated. Yeah, yeah. And the other thing that I've um, come to uh, um, appreciate is that there, there are so many blueprint nodes that most of the time when you're doing something too complicated, just because you haven't really like searched enough through the blueprint node library because there's a lot I, I remember back in, when I was working on more VR projects there were a bunch of use cases where you might for example like um uh, I can't remember I'm trying to think of, of what a, a good oh yeah like you want to have some sort of floating object in front of you that follows you around right but you don't want it like stuck to the person's head like it's you know like some billboard you want it to kind of like move around but like slowly kind of drift in yeah you know, and you can spend a lot of time trying to figure that out, but there, and I, I remember I did, you know, trying to calculate, okay, every, you know, how do I figure out, you know, this amount of time, what's the, you know, uh, the rate of change, and then how do I adjust the two vectors so that they kind of line up over time? No, there's a node for that, and I spent hours working on this, and there's a node that's like, uh, uh, move to vector at rate, and you just put in like the where you are, where you, you want to be, and then like some maximum, you know, angular change and it just works. Yeah. And I was so upset, but you know, like <laughs> I just didn't search. I didn't search enough. I didn't take like a few minutes to make sure I, I looked at all my options. And... Yeah. It's funny to hear you bring these things up because these are all, a lot of what you're mentioning is very fresh on my mind. Uh, the select node is something that I just started using a couple of days ago, like much more <laughs> meaningfully. So that's a cool yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. And I only noticed it because I was modifying the VR template and noticed that the select node was being used to determine uh, which controller, which motion controller someone was using. And yeah. I was like, oh, that could be true false. And then I started to understand more why the select node um, made, made sense there. Uh, but yes, also on like moving a thing in front of you, literally last night, I was trying to show how you could take the menu system that's in the VR template, which pops up just right in front of you in your hand. And I was thinking maybe I can show a really easy way as a quick tip to get that in front of you and have like a nice VR menu that isn't like locked to your head, but kind yeah. of smoothly uh, lurks right. to where you are. And so there's a whole library and maybe this is the same node you're describing, Jacob. They all are interpolate two. So it's like V interpolate two for vectors, uh, T for transforms. And then I even found one that is spring-based. So it's like the uh, the vector one, except it actually basically it's like the the spring that you have a camera on for like the third person controller. So basically, you yeah, imagine that you like got the menu like on a spring coming out of your chest, and as you turn around, it has like a little bit of like springiness, which felt a little bit weird in VR. So I didn't ultimately use it, but yeah, all these little nodes that are kind of just making exactly. something take a little more time to to smooth and dampen what it's doing. That's exactly that's exactly the node, and I'm trying e I'm looking it up. Um, yeah, R interp to constant or like R interp is you interpolate with a specific rate to whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And exactly. the R there would be rotation, rotation, interpolate. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Exactly. And it, yeah, this, it just saves so much time. Um, and, and yeah, switch the, the, uh, um, select nodes. One of the other underappreciated nodes, and now I'm talking about underappreciated blueprint nodes. We're we're like going full <laughs> nerd over here. Um, but uh, is using blueprints as references in select nodes. So anytime you have a group, sorry, not blueprint, a blueprint variable as reference. So like when you have a select, right? You're supposed to input values, and based on something like a boolean, or you can use even enums, you can use other stuff. Based on the value of, uh, of a boolean or an integer, you're going to select 
those different values to feed into some input for, I don't know, anything, right? Like, and let's say, for example, you want to set a variable or, uh, or sorry, you want to like set a value and you have a bunch of variables, but you don't want to use a bunch of, you can't use a git, right? Or uh, in some cases you can't use like a validate git or anything, right? What you can do is you can take a the variable as a reference and pass that through. Hmm. And then on the other side, use a set. Oh, th this is the real uh, use case. If you want to set, if you have five variables, you want only want to set one of them. You pass it as a reference uh, through the select and hook that up to the set node so that based on some logic, you set one of five variables. It's like there's all these crazy UK. And that's another reason someone would use like a branch, right? Like, Hey, I, I either want to set this variable or this variable. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to create some condition, then branch, set this variable, set this variable. Then I need some way to come back to the normal logic, right? Like this, it solves all that. Um, so yeah, the select node is a saver. I, I remember when I discovered um, also like the multi- um, Multi-gate? Multi-gates stuff. That I like, where was that, right? right? You know, like it, I- I get so frustrated when I when I learn that I've been wasting time, but then I'm like, oh man, now now I really know what I'm doing, right? And happens over and over and over again. Yeah, that note's particularly nice because it's very easy to visualize exactly what's happening. Like sometimes when you get into some of the more complicated, like cosine kind of stuff in Unreal Engine, it's really hard to really understand what's happening. But the gate is basically like you have your flow and it gets to the gate and it's like the gate is either opened or closed already yep. and it can already go through or it has some way to open or close the gate which would then stop or allow other things that are coming after it to go through and that's like such an easy thing to, to imagine yeah yeah i mean you so much <laughs> i'm kind of thinking of some funny things now you could probably do uh, um with just uh, uh um binary uh, logic and and just multi-gates i wonder if you could like you could probably create a like a turing complete like language of its own just <laughs> using multi-gates now that i'm thinking about it um it's like a full th these are what you call state machines in, in yeah. computer science, you know <laughs> which is uh pretty funny anyways I, I feel like we've gone way in the weeds on blueprints um your original question which was c plus plus at the end of the day you should use whatever works for you my inclination is always to prototype first in blueprints mm. and only take what i absolutely need into c plus because yeah. more people can look at blueprints more people can interpret uh interpret them um and you know that's great if you are a developer and you're interested in unreal engine because you want to be you know developing tools for you know tech art if you want to be you know getting deep into rendering code or or you want to make like serious modifications to the engine then c++ is the way to go but if you're kind of just thinking about c++ for gameplay scripting i would really reconsider until you feel like you've hit a wall with blueprints because for gameplay scripting in particular there's there are you can do like 90 something percent of what you could possibly do in gameplay scripting entirely through blueprints right Good summary. Cool. Uh, that was a good rant. Uh, so a few things I want to make sure we get to before we run out of time. Uh, I want to do a quick hardware corner because I got some stuff I Ooh. just want to put in front of the camera. Yeah, Sorry, audio only listeners. I want Jacob to do a Fortnite corner because I just enjoy hearing Jacob talk about Fortnite. <laughs> then I want to do shout outs. Then I want to talk uh, briefly about a couple other events that will be coming up soon. How's that sound? Let's do it. Great. Okay. Hardware real quick. Okay. Can you hear me? Yep. You're good. So we're going to start with something simple. I got a, a little yellow Wally robot kind of thing. Uh, this is a Views 4K 360 stereo camera that used to cost upwards of $1,000, $2,000. And now you can get it for $179 wow. from B&H Photo. And we have a project going on in Unreal Engine right now where we were just going to go with monoscopic video, just like a sphere, almost like a sky sphere kind of thing. And then we're like, no, it actually would be really nice if what's happening in VR is you're actually getting a different view for your left eye and your right eye. And we were looking at all these super expensive, like $50,000 options. And they were like, oh, this is $179. And for the purposes of what we're doing right now, you know, 4K, eight cameras, uh, pretty good bang for your buck. And then there's all sorts of ways in Unreal Engine, actually just through materials 
to basically mask uh, which eye you want to show something in. So we can have the, the video feed of this even as a live stream if we wanted to and, uh, and start to quarantine that's off cool. um, what each eye sees. So that's kind of cool. Views camera from like a few years ago still works pretty well. And uh, I'm, I'm pretty happy with that. Even though we are also using some more like 8K, 16K results, I just can't believe this is $179. Yeah, that's crazy. That's really cool. Cool. Next thing up. Uh, this is the Vive XR Elite, yeah. and I meant to also grab the um, MetaQuest Pro, MetaQuest Pro for comparison. And it's going to be a little bit hard with my video yep. right now, but to try to give like a comparison in size, the XR Elite is much much tinier. And um, I've really been enjoying in Unreal Engine right now the fact that because everything's trending toward OpenXR, it's getting easier and easier to be able to develop one experience and bounce back and forth between the two. We're working on a very large project right now that right up until the last minute might be using either of these headsets. And it needs like hand tracking and all sorts of stuff that in the past would have required a very different development pipeline in Unreal Engine to get to work. And I'm actually not that stressed about it. Like pretty much right up until the final like opening of this thing over in Austin, we'll be able to be like, yeah, we can use either one. It's gonna be fine. <laughs> That's cool. That's really cool. So. Give me the the lowdown on like the the pass through. I remember was the the big thing of note, right? Can can you kind of describe for us like what what that experience is like and, and how it kind of differs from? Oh, that's pretty cool. Is that like a strap? Can you like just like strap it around? So this is a top strap because it takes a little of the pressure off the nose. But basically, uh, uh, uh. you can wear these like sunglasses and the battery pack in the back. Like you don't have to use this one. You can just have like a little USB uh, yeah. battery in your pocket or something, which makes this super, super light, um, which is quite nice. It's more comfortable than the Quest Pro, in my opinion, and also has uh, these nice little prescription lens dials, which Ooh. makes it better for people who wear glasses. That's sweet. Yeah. So the, like, the pass through, the pass through, I want, I want to yeah, hear the pass through is super sharp. Like I, I liked the Quest Pro pass through uh, when I first saw it, I probably mentioned on the podcast, I've become less fond of it as time has gone on. And I've become less interested in doing pass through related projects in the Quest, uh, just because it is pretty grainy. And, and I don't think it's very tolerable for more than a few minutes. Um, the XR Elite pass through really, really sharp, like right up there with Vario. Uh, yeah. Like I have a Vario XR3 over there and they're on par with each other. And this is a much less expensive headset uh, to be getting such high pass through quality. That's awesome. Yeah. Did you see the news about the, I'm sure you did. Do you have one is probably a better question of the big screen VR. Uh, do you have one yet? No, I don't have one. I don't know if I will get one. Like, I'm not sure yeah. what utility it's going to have for someone like me. I'm, I'm interested to hear what you think about like the market they might be targeting because it's still a pretty expensive headset. Yeah, it is. It is. But it uses Steam VR tracking, which mm -hmm. I like. Um, though that's going to definitely exclude a lot of users at this point. Um, like, I, I still don't have my base stations up in this room yeah. um, because it's just kind of a pain to get all that stuff set up. Um, but uh, I think that is nice for the right person. Um, and it's kind of strange that they're marketing it directly towards like just movie watching. And I saw this in a few takes where it was like, this is one of, this looks incredible for fitness, like good tracking, super lightweight and small. Um, like, and it, it's, it doesn't have a lot of the pass through stuff, you know, and that's fine. Like I, I, you know, most of the time when I put on a VR headset, I want like a VR experience. And I think it, I think it's great. I think they definitely, you know, the marketing directly towards, you know, people who want to watch movies, I think is interesting. Like I, I can imagine people like if you're watching a movie for a few hours, having something that's super small and light could be really nice. Um, and having steam VR tracking so that you can, you know, lay down or do whatever. And you don't really have to worry about, um, you know, tracking loss or battery life and all that, like, that's nice. Um, I think uh, we'll just have to see, you know, uh, certainly having, you know, that resolution in that small form factor, I'm a little bit skeptical. Um, I'm very curious how people, if people like the the viewing experience, that field of view is very small, um, 90 by 93. Uh, I believe, 
like uh, um the index is 120 or 110 to 120 something like that yeah. i like i mean which makes sense because it's it's a very small headset the screens are not that big um but yeah i i'm very curious to see how people take this one and if it you know really solves that use case i think maybe they have a really nice product on their hand yeah i'll be really curious to see how it works um yeah and then you know build oh actually wait a minute um yeah sorry i, I was gonna see maybe it has inside out tracking but nope it specifically does call out no yeah and, and which is nice because you can use existing accessories like if you want to use this for vr games you can i, I don't think people will necessarily want to yeah. Just given, you know, things like the field of view and I can't like, like I said, I'm very happy to be proven wrong about the visual quality, um, but trying to fit, you know, your lenses and screens of that resolution, that size, I, I'm just a little skeptical. I, I but um, certainly yeah. could be pretty cool. I, what do you think? It seems like they're they're really trying to address that form factor market. People who are yeah. like, I I would totally spend time in VR. It's just too uncomfortable. So you know, if they achieve creating a headset that someone will actually comfortably sit down for an hour and a half uh, to watch a movie, or nowadays I feel like every movie is like two and a half to three hours. If someone can actually sit down and enjoy watching a movie for that long, then that's a huge accomplishment, and I would absolutely applaud them for that. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we'll see. I mean, that's the main thing I'm looking at. Other than that, there's not much value for me. Um, I, I'm the kind of person who sometimes will open like the YouTube app or something and watch something that's like 8K right. in VR for a couple minutes because it's kind of a cool novelty. But uh, I like big screen. I've, I've met the founder and had some wonderful discussions about like the roadmap and all that. Um, it's just not an application that means a ton to me because I'm not the kind of person who's going to sit uh, in virtual reality just watching a movie with someone for uh, a particularly yeah. long time. Yeah, I, I think um, I, I've tried big screen um, and it it was interesting. Um, oh, yeah. And and Alan just threw in our chat. They they have something about custom face molding. Yeah. I mean, sounds cool. Sounds cool. Yeah. I, I, I think this is uh, I'll believe it when it when I see it kind of thing, because they're taking pre-orders now. They're not shipping. Right. Right. Sure. But as I understand, there are a few demo units out there. Mm -hmm. Um. So yeah, believe it when I see it. Though that said, I I like I haven't bought a new VR headset in a while. Um, <laughs> so I'll I'll believe it when a Alex sees it. I guess it there we go. Better, yeah, yeah. it's a better uh, yeah, statement. I'm always probably. happy to see more competition. I think uh, Meta's been uh, a de facto market leader for for too long in this space, and I I think they're getting some nice challenges from HTC at the moment. But I'd love to see uh, more and more competition jumping in, even if it's for like very niche particular use cases, like saying, yeah. yeah, let's sit down for three hours and have a VR headset on and not feel horrible after. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, like I said, it, it would be very cool. cool. Uh, I don't know if I'd buy one, but very cool. DVD. Um, awesome. All right, Jacob, I want to hear a little bit about Fortnite. What's Fortnite, the Fortnite corner. I, I mean, you know, I think my last update was just talking about them making the switch to five dot um 5.1 which mm -hmm. was huge which is huge um and to the extent that like i'm not i you know i i've considered upgrading my gpu more often than i think i would have otherwise just because like it actually fortnite can actually use my gpu and i do tend to play a decent amount of fortnite because as i mentioned my fiance and i really enjoyed playing that game together yeah um so it i i think it's pretty cool i think it's really cool what they're doing um, I'm very excited, actually, and this leads into one of the events coming up um, on the calendar, which is GDC. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'll be in, I'll be at GDC if anyone Excellent. wants to to say hey. Um, but um, we're uh, um, Epic is doing their State of Unreal, or yeah, I think State of Unreal at um, GDC, and that usually comes along with. Know, a few announcements and then um uh, some announcements about fortnite and my expectation is that all the stuff that they've been working on in fortnite with you know uh, um level creation and you know gameplay scripting inside of fortnite i'm assuming they're just going to turn that up to 11. um i know i i i think i mentioned on this podcast all the stuff that um you know Tim Sweeney at Al were talking about with this programming language that they want to 
bring into the metaverse. My assumption is that that is maybe a further down the line, you know, kind of pro something for whatever they're building today, which is probably going to be a little more, um, you know, palatable. And I believe there is actual scripting inside of um, Fortnite today. Um, so it's pretty cool. I'm excited to see kind of what they say. Um, Fortnite, as always, is a really great example of what you can do in Unreal. So like everyone should look out for this. Um, yep. Exactly. Verse. Um, I'm not quite sure what they mean launches verse. Like that's not really how programming languages work, <laughs> but um, definitely really cool. I'm excited to see what, what happens. And, and you know, it, it just reminds me it, the the whole thing about like uh, scripting inside of games is so fascinating to me. It's like a very meta thing, you know, like scripting on top of something that's already been heavily scripted. Yeah. But it's cool, like giving power to the players to kind of feel like they have the reins on their experience and and to take Fortnite and, you know, use those characters, use all the items they have and build their own thing, I think is, is really fascinating. Yeah, we've been having uh, a lot of fun doing that sort of thing lately with uh data smith and the whole data prep wrestling yeah. system in unreal uh because we're working with some folks that are very excited about unreal engine but they don't want to download it they don't want to touch it so we've created this like very straightforward exe that is just looking in a particular folder for dot u data smith files and then ingesting them in a certain set of ways where it's yep. swapping certain objects with certain metadata or names out for like blueprints and it's adding in like a library of materials and we're trying to create like this very simple customizable way for someone to get a lot of the the things they want out of unreal engine without having to yeah as i said like actually download it or learn anything yeah. about it i mean so i love seeing when uh these kinds of developments happen that are, are simplifying or building on top of an existing infrastructure. Probably the first um, company that I saw do that really well was Rec Room, which is a, a VR game that started started in VR. Now it's on every platform, but they created this really fun way to create like your own paintball arenas and that sort of thing entirely within the uh, the scripting logic of, of the world, even though it's built on um, another engine. I think Unity probably. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm trying to pull up the name of a... Um... Yeah, that was the game. There was this game on Xbox 360 called Motocross Madness. <laughs> Motocross Madness. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna get roasted by someone who man, this was but this was a great game. Um I think it was this. It's not no, this is a racing game. I'll I'll think of it in a second. But it was this game which was like it was a, a side-scroller motocross game, but it had like 3D. It, it was 3D, but it you kind of the camera kind of scrolled in, in in 2D. And they had one of the most incredible gameplay scripting systems in it. Like you could write full, you know, it, it, they had a code editor and like you could write all this crazy stuff for for triggering events, all this other stuff. And the amount of content that came out of that where the community, like, I remember spending a lot of time playing community maps in that game because, like, they had built this incredible system. And it just increased the, the replayability of it, you know, dramatically, you know, very, very dramatically. And I have to imagine that's what they're thinking with something like Fortnite is if you give people the ability to, you know, make the experience fresh for themselves, like, that that builds such a, a an incredible like sticking power to the game. I remember like Halo 3 and and games like that with Sandbox where, you know, people would be sharing maps with their friends and I I don't I don't I don't think I even like for for a good amount of time like the only time I would play like like Halo on Xbox was either I was super bored and so I just play multiplayer or is with my friends and we wouldn't play multiplayer, we would go straight into just like all these custom maps because that was what was fun to play right like because it was new so i i i'm excited to see what they do they continue to do with fortnite and and how they're planning to turn these things to 11 because i'm quite sure they will that's really exciting 
Um, at the start of this conversation, mentioning Unreal Engine going into, uh, sorry, Fortnite going into Unreal Engine 5.1, I feel like we should at least shout out that um, Unreal Engine is now 5.1.1. There's like 300 hotfixes. Yep. Um, I've definitely noticed some additional stability in my projects, which is nice. Um, also, for anyone tracking the GitHub source of Unreal Engine, you'll notice that now if you do the latest main source build, it's now Unreal Engine 5.3. So yep. I think we can at least surmise from that that 5.2 is probably imminent. Um, that's usually how it happens with GitHub when when we start to see it like yes. leaping ahead from uh, whatever version is about to come out. I would assume it's GDC. That's and that's a complete guess. I I don't have NDAs with Epic anymore. <laughs> I, I don't think um, so. That's that's my guess is, is it'll come out GDC. I think we can say historically GDC tends to be an important time for Epic Games to reveal or announce things. Yes, yes. And I, I'm wondering if we're going to get a nice um, public roadmap before then. Um, I, I, that usually comes at preview time, though. So I, I'm assuming maybe that that maybe we'll go into preview at GDC. That's 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 my guess. Actually. I really love the Unreal Engine uh, public roadmaps. Let me pull this up real quick for anyone who doesn't know. Yeah, we did a full about. episode on this. So. Yeah, I know. Yeah, they, they just started doing this back in 4.26. But it used to be on Trello. Like little yeah. GIFs and like very short descriptions of like the thing they're working on. It's so readable, it's so bite-sized and digestible. And I mean, it's so easy to like literally just scroll down and be like, whoa, what's going on here? And uh, it's a lot easier than just reading release notes. Yeah, no, it's awesome. It, the thing is like they omit so much here. I mean, we did that episode yeah. and, and the release notes for these versions is just insane. It's They're getting so much done. Yeah. Um, I think we we roasted Autodesk enough, but like, <laughs> man, step it up! Like these guys, these guys are getting a lot of shit done. Um, and I think the the word on the street was that after five five dot one was a big release. Word on the street is that there was going to be a more regular release schedule uh, going forward. So hopefully, we continue to see features roll out. Um, but I don't think we'll see one like five dot one for a while, probably. Yeah, it was a big, uh, big set of improvements. It makes you wonder, like, actually, here, let's do a prediction right now. We're in February of 2023. Jacob, when do you think Unreal Engine 6 will come out? Unreal Engine 6. <laughs> uh, and you're asking me 2023. So that means, I guess, right around 2028, 29, something like that. It's either that or they're not going to release another major version ever. You know, it's like there are there are companies that just say, no, five is the is we're not doing major version upgrades anymore. Like doesn't get better than this. But I mean, no, I, I think probably another five years. I, I I mean, most of the talk internal, you know, uh, um, from for, not internal, but folks who I talked to at Epic, you know, kind of talked about five as just like a major update on four. Right. Like. And they're releasing so much stuff every update that like i don't know how you delineate now between these minor updates and major updates like they tore out you know the lighting and and rendering system kind of with you know lumen and ni and that was big but you know like what's like what's bigger right like <laughs> if you're going to do an, another version it has to be bigger or it has to like you're not going to tear out lumen again right like you just made that so <laughs> what's next what's bigger than like your lighting and rendering system you know like uh, geometry systems i don't know like physics i mean they already did that you know they already did that so like <laughs> yeah i'm not sure i'm not sure well, for anyone who's uh, watching this on a commentable platform like YouTube, let us know in the comments what you think uh, yeah, would yeah. need to be a, a sizable enough evolution in the possibilities of, of game design for Unreal Engine to make Unreal Engine 6. Yes, um, I, I want you on the record too, you know. Yeah, um, sure. Uh, so let, I'm, I'm looking at this for context. So March of 2015, Game Developers Conference, surprise, was when Epic unveiled Unreal Engine 4. Um, Unreal Engine 5 became early access around March of what, 2021, was it? Yep. So that was six years. So yeah, so like 20, it's crazy to think like 2027 or something like that could be uh, when we see something like Unreal Engine 6. Um, all I can imagine is something that continues to shift everything more from this like very technical workflow to something that is very creative focused and, and more accessible to everyone. So I would almost imagine something like, let's imagine all the stuff going on with chat GPT and open AI 
cranking up to 11. Like, what if Unreal Engine 6 is a version where you like don't even need a keyboard? <laughs> like, yeah. you can just talk to this thing. And yeah, I, I don't. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't I'm really speculating so. here, but yeah. I mean, I, 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 I am curious, of course. Uh, um, you know, in in the work that I do, um, how Unreal kind of fits into larger infrastructure ecosystems, because um, it's not something historically that's really been a requirement for Unreal. Um, you know, when you're just doing game development, it's kind of straightforward, but there's a lot of development going on right now with infrastructure plus Unreal, you know, whether you're doing simulation, you know, where you're simulating autonomous cars driving through cities, or you're using this for, um, you know, a, a linear media, right? Like you're rendering film, right? Like there's a lot of stuff there that is still getting worked out. And I think that's all pretty exciting, but like that doesn't necessarily affect the end user, right? I'm I'm curious to see kind of in the long run when these sorts of changes, like the ability to access, you know, the the you know, just a crazy. I, I mean, we, we kind of always see this on our desktops, right? Like our computers are getting you know powerful enough that um, you know it, it, it's being able, you know, we're able to do so much now on, on you know on a, a machine, right? Well, you know, Moore's law is kind of dead. You know, there's all these kind of questions up in the air about what happens with consumer technology. Like, I don't know. Like, I think that's what's going to be really interesting to think about going forward. Now, I'm asking a, a cloud person about this, uh, you, Jacob. But what if Unreal Engine 6 was like the Google Docs of of game development? Oh, my God. You like have no people, no clue how many people have made the argument, the Google Docs of blank. And you know what the funny thing is, and I'm going to misquote this uh, story, is the book, um, The Innovators by um, Walter, Isaacson. Walter Isaacson. He has, you know, he kind of chronicles the stories of early internet, early personal computers. And one of the stories he tells is that at one of like the very first um, like personal computer, you know, kind of meetups. And, you know, this is still when you were like, and it was very, it was very much like tied in with like a hippie movement um, mm -hmm. at the time, um, or at least this meetup was. One of the first demos ever given, given was like two people working on a shared document. And then it took, you know, many decades for any consumer to like practically get a product that could execute this vision, right? Like, so I, you know, I, I think there is... I think we might see that. Like we might see, okay, you know, we've seen lots of demos from Unreal, a lot of which we've already forgotten, right? <laughs> you know, what are the demos we're going to see this generation that are just like going to be up in the air, right? People are going to forget about which ones are going to stick, right? Like all, all the stuff that we do with infrastructure, like pixel streaming, obviously being a big one, right? Like pixel streaming is, is, uh, is one of those consumer facing things where like consumers will probably get more access to, you know, compute elsewhere than they realize, right? Like it's going to be kind of hands-off for them. Um, and like, I don't know if that helps technology stick. I don't know how that, you know, helps adoption. You know, like there, there's so many kind of up in the air questions. Um, but I, I keep coming back to just the, the fact that like consumer tech is really getting, uh, um, is having a bad day right now, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, the the cost of consumer GPUs is, is way up, right? And they're enormous. They take they're the enormous. They're computer. power hungry. You know, like it's it's crazy, right? Um, and on top of that, you go to you know CES, for example, and it's it's still TVs. Like we, there's nothing new, right? Like consumer tech has slowed down a lot because a lot of the advancements are happening, you know over the web, right? You're getting, you know, ChatGPT is delivered to you because if you tried to run that like on your PC here, you could, but you're not, you know, like it's going to be pretty slow or you're going to need one of these big fat GPUs that like, you know, is going to be heating up your house like a space heater, right? Like, <laughs> um, so, I mean, it's, it's the, these are just effects we're seeing everywhere, but Unreal like hasn't really seen that so far, right? Like Unreal is still something that you download, you run on your computer and you work on it, right? And then you deliver an executable to someone, right? It's very old fashioned in that sense. So I'm kind of curious to see where that goes. Yeah, that's great. Uh, cool. Should we move on to shout outs? Let's do it. All right. 
I think I'll whiz through a few real quick. Um, just do a little screen share. You're, you're going to have more than me because I think you stole one of mine. But oh, that's did okay. I? You can you can you can take it. The the bubbles, man. That was the cool. bubbles one. Yeah, we we can both talk about that one. That's yeah. very cool. Um, okay. Oh, actually, before shout outs, I just wanted to mention, um, I've never done a general call like this on Twitter before, where I basically said, hey, I'm looking for a talented like 3D character artist riggers who can make stylized stuff for Unreal Engine for a cool project, PM me a few samples. And as uh, Alex Pascal, who, who works at Epic Games mentioned, I was not prepared for the number of bots that were going to send a deluge. Um, yeah, PMs you can't ask for web developers or like, yeah, you can't do any of that. Yeah, it was crazy. Like I, I've never had that happen before. So I don't know what the right way is to like word these things so it doesn't trigger that kind of thing happening. But boy, I've learned my lesson. That's funny. Yeah. Um, okay, a couple quick shout outs. First, um, Unreal Noob, friend of the, the show, um, who's done a lot of amazing tutorials. Check out his channel, Hooptal, uh, at Twitter. Um, I forget his YouTube channel at the moment, but go to his Twitter to find it. He just shouted out that um, Unreal Engine released a bunch of really cool control rig examples. And I just briefly want to mention that what I love about these and all the examples that are out here is that people forget that, um, oh yeah, that's Old West stuff as well. But people forget that the control rig is not just made for people. It's not even just made for animals. You can use the control rig for anything, any kind of complex robot or animated lamp or furniture, whatever, you can use the control rig to animate it. And so I'm so glad to see some of these new, um, you know, examples that are coming out to help to uh, give people a sense of just how broad of a range there is of things you can do. So super cool, new free asset, permanently free, I imagine, uh, just came out today. Control well, technically, anytime you download it, it's permanent, permanently free. So yes. <laughs> that's true. Yes, was it you I, that, I've that had, I've never gotten an email that was like, oh, that thing you thought was free. Actually, you're gonna have to pay for that now. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I, was it you that sent me? I can't remember who sent me something, but uh, looking at the EULAs for mm. the Epic Marketplace, and it's essentially like when you sell something on the Epic Marketplace, you are selling the rights to that thing yeah. and not selling the thing. So like if there's no like IP protection because they know you're downloading this and sticking this on a folder somewhere. And like, how are they possibly supposed to take legal liability if you go and distribute that? Yeah. Right. So yeah, yeah. Watch out for the EULAs, I guess. I, I don't know. <laughs> um, I just stumbled on this by scrolling down. This seems to be also just released today. I wonder what is in the mannequins pack. Oh. Um, fascinating, just mannequin assets. I, well, go like down, well, it, it should say what, what's in it, no? Oh yeah, I, I guess I could read the description. Uh, Manny and Quinn for uses Unreal Engine 5, the regular control rig, uh, use the same skeleton as metahumans. I mean, that's all the stuff you basically get with like the third person template. Um, I'm surprised it doesn't come with like a bunch of animations or something. Uh, I mean, usually it's, oh, uh, click on the asset pack to the asset right, pack. Uh, where it says download type. Download type. Uh, it's no like right next to add to cart and all that stuff. Oh, there, gotcha. there is like a place where you can see everything that's, oh, I can't, whatever. Yeah, that's interesting. I have to check that out. Yeah, interesting. Okay, uh, cool. Um, I'll just whiz through a couple other shout outs here. Yeah, so actually, Jacob, yeah. why don't you start by describing what's so cool about this? <laughs> yeah, so this is a simulation of boiling water, presumably running with either ray tracing or some really weird lumen artifacts, but presumably ray tracing with all this refraction and all that. And boy, is that cool. Like, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I showed a couple of times the, some of the, you know, liquid sims that I was seeing online, but being able to do this with, you know, refraction and, and simulating all those bubbles, like, wow, that's pretty cool. I, I'm assuming the way this simulation works is that they are randomly spawning probably refractive spheres mm. um you know kind of like glass balls right kind of thing maybe with some like def deformation in the materials on them i don't know that's pretty expensive um but then when the bubbles like pop i have no clue like i have no clue how they're doing that that's really cool well they did hashtag houdini so that's definitely playing a role in all this but yeah i wonder my assumption is so like houdini sims you can simulate particle positions right but the rendering all still happens in um unreal right so you can do like um 
you can export simulation caches from Houdini, which literally just marks all the different, like every every particle in your simulation. Uh, and you can have it simulate things like water and then import those physical characters. So it's not simulating the physics here. I, I kind of figured that because you, you couldn't possibly simulate the physics in, in, in this today, maybe in the future. Um, but, you know, it, it how, how they're getting this result with like the bubbles popping, I'm assuming there's some trickery here, right? Like I'm assuming probably the surface is its own simulation, um, you know, stuff like that. But man, does this look awesome. It looks amazing. And uh, they did mention that it is it can run in real time. You just don't get all the fun path tracing uh, reflections and refractions. Um, yeah. And by the way, it's Dylan Brown uh, at Dilzer, uh, D-Y-L-S-E-R-X at Twitter. So go support him and check out more of his work. Super, super cool. Um, next up, uh, I always love seeing, you know, really simple little elegant things in Unreal Engine. Um, what I like about this, we're, we're looking right now at a little metahuman animation of someone just opening their mouth, probably done with live link face. And then over a very short sequencer, they basically become like a zombie. Um, and what I love about this is there's, there's not a ton going on in here. Basically, the lights are changing, the post-process volume is changing, and a couple uh, material parameters on the metahuman materials are changing, like the normal maps and some things like that. So um, material parameter collections, for anyone that doesn't know, really excellent way to animate any kind of vector or float value um, across materials and, and other elements in Unreal. And uh, I think this is just a great example of a, a very, very simple way to, to get a lot of transformative power out of Unreal Engine. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And that is done by giving proper shout outs. Uh, Jabutsu, uh, job U-T-S-U underscore U-K uh, on Twitter. Very cool. And uh, that's it for my immediate shout outs. Uh, anything you want to? Yeah, I mean, I, I honestly, I don't have much much to give on shout outs this week. Um, but um, definitely uh, I'm excited uh, uh, to, to see where some of these guys go with, with these projects that you shared. I, I really do still need to dive into metahumans. I, I really haven't had a chance yet, but um, so many cool things to do there. So, yeah, the, the metahuman DNA thing that we talked about in a previous podcast yeah. has been tremendously helpful lately for me with just being able to easily share uh, metahuman assets from person to person. Cause that was such a nightmare before <laughs> like, yeah. okay, I'm going to give you my login for my Epic account so you can log in and, and modify the metahuman. And, oh, I forgot. I'm going to have to like validate your IP address and give you a two factor authentication code. So, uh, this yeah. is better now. <laughs> oh, that's, that's good. Yeah. I, I, uh, that D the D DNA stuff was funny. We covered that in a previous episode. So folks should go back and, and listen or watch yeah. that if they haven't seen it but uh well, i think with so, that we're uh, just oh yeah go ahead i was saying we're we're just about at the end here and any last any last thoughts yeah um i just wanted to give a few uh shout outs to ourselves for like things that are coming up that we might be involved with uh, jacob yes. mentioned he'll be at um gdc which is awesome i'm jealous i was there last year and had a fantastic time um but couldn't quite make it work for this year uh anything else coming up for you jacob um no uh well there's an event coming up uh, next week i'm a little late to describe that maybe um but on tuesday there is an event with uh hosted by runaway ai it's an ai film festival it's pretty Ooh. cool sponsored by uh, um uh, the the folks i work for so uh certainly check that out if you're in the new york city area um and this podcast come out in by then i, I don't know maybe not but uh that's that's one thing and then yeah come catch me at gdc excellent um, I can actually piggyback off of that pretty well because tomorrow I will be on the um, Compound Witness podcast. I'll do a quick screen oh, share for this with um, Eugene, who runs um, Penrose Studios. Um, and uh, he's done some really cool stuff with um, AI film as well. So Penrose Studios has done these incredible films like um, The Rose and I, Alumet, um, Arden's Wake, starring Alicia Vikander and, and Richard Armitage. And um, we've just been geeking out lately about like live performances inside Unreal. And so we're actually gonna do a bit of, of a podcast swap. I'm gonna go be on uh, Eugene's podcast and then we're gonna bring him over here, Jacob, and, and get as much information as we can out of him, both about his Unreal Engine stuff and also the incredible collaborators he's had uh, over the years with- Sounds Penrose good to Studios. me. Next up, 
the Polys uh, are the WebXR Awards. They're gonna happen in Zero Space in Brooklyn. I will be there physically, and I will have a bit of an announcement related to WebXR and our mm -hmm. podcast. So look forward to that. Nice. Um, that will be kind of cool. A lot of cool companies nominated, lots of people presenting. I'm just gonna be like a red carpet interview presenting the thing very quickly. Um, and that will be neat. And then next week um, on Friday, uh, sorry, Thursday, Thursday of next week, I will actually be live on the Unreal Engine um, YouTube channel, uh, no doing a live stream with Victor Broden, uh, who's a product specialist, especially on the XR side of Unreal Engine. And we're gonna be going through like quick tips of how to develop uh, compelling XR experiences in Unreal Engine. It'll be a lot of like bite-sized morsels for you know trying to show things very briefly. Um, hopefully it's really useful to um, new devs and old devs alike. Alike, I'm definitely taking cues from um, Chris Murphy, who did the excellent 35 UE features you probably don't know about, which was like a rapid fire. Here's all sorts of crazy things you can do in Unreal Engine you might not know about. Um, so we'll be doing that, but just primarily focused in XR. Uh, and then last thing is I will be at South by Southwest for a few reasons. One is I'll be on two talks. Um, one is, is this really live performance in the age of XR? with Louise LaSalle, Stephanie Riggs, and Emmy Schwab. And we'll be talking about XR and performance and Unreal Engine and a lot of the stuff we covered in our Christmas Carol episode. And that's gonna be a really cool panel. Um, and then on the next day, I will be on a different panel called From Words to Worlds, New Social Generations with Andrea Yonkotakaru from Numina, Jessica Outlaw, who runs Extended Mind and now works with Adobe, and Caroline Running Wolf, also known as Buffalo, who runs a company called Buffalo Tongue. And um, we're gonna have a really cool discussion about space and virtualness and how we feel at home. So this is more like the architecture and XR side. And uh, that's gonna be a very cool discussion. And we're also gonna be in Austin showing a super, super cool Unreal Engine experience that I'm still not clear whether or not I'm allowed to talk about it. But if you find me at South by or you ping me anytime after March 10th, um, I will probably be able to bring you to it. I'll actually be in Austin starting at March 6th, leaving the morning after the polys um, in order to be in Austin for enough time to set everything up. Yeah. Awesome, man. Some great shout outs. Uh, I saw that uh, um, over here, uh, uh, Alan put in the chat a note about alt space. We didn't get yeah. to talk about that, but maybe we could say that for the next episode. Um, certainly uh, a whole lot to talk about in terms of social VR spaces. So so maybe we uh, uh, pick that up next time. Uh, but thank you guys uh, for listening, watching. Make sure you like, subscribe, rate, comment, whatever. Uh, uh, really, like I said, helps us out and we, we really appreciate you guys coming along for the ride here and we'll catch you again next episode. Yahoo. Thanks everyone. All right.